Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful. And for the faithful, I'm David Staples, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce, how you doing? I'm doing well tonight, David. How about yourself? Good. It's hockey season, so I'm, of course I'm working on another cold. Oh, yeah. But uh, we'll see how that goes. Hopefully I won't be coughing uh, for the next three months like usual, but we'll see. Um, big game tonight, Bruce. And um, you're going to be away tomorrow, I guess. You won't be. Um, uh, it'll be uh, Ira Cooper will be doing the podcast with me. Where are you going to be? Yeah, I'm heading down to Red Deer in the morning. Going to be off the grid tomorrow, uh, attending the uh, celebration of life of my father-in-law, Ron Bellamy. I'd like to dedicate this podcast to uh, memory of Ron, who passed away under his, very much his own terms at the age of 91 in uh, late November. And uh, we were, uh, I mean, he he was dealing with a few things uh, down down the stretch, but uh, uh, but he uh, uh, hung in there long enough for family to all come down and visit him. We got down a couple of days before he passed, and even that day he uh, went out for breakfast with the family, and he came home and he sat down in his favorite chair, and it was there that he basically ran out of oxygen, and that was uh, the end, but... Uh, uh, he was. Uh, he spent a lot of time in that chair, and he spent a lot of time in that chair rooting for the Edmonton Oilers. Ron was a. There's a real big split in Red Deer between Oilers and Flames fans primarily, but uh, uh, Ron was uh, was an Oilers fan. Uh, I think he was maybe a Habs fan earlier, but uh, in uh, uh, like yourself, I guess once the yeah. Oilers, uh, Alberta got his teams in the NHL, he used to watch the Flames and the Oilers, like whoever was on. But he, he was uh, rooting for the Oilers, so uh, I will remember him fondly as a, uh, as an Oilers fan, and also just as a pretty reliable father-in-law for these last 42 years that we've been married, and he and his. Uh, uh, now bereaved wife, Dell, uh, married for 67 years. Wow. So, lived in the same house for the last 60 of them. <laughs> if you go out in your, in your nineties and you're on your last day of your life, you're going out for breakfast with your family and sitting in yeah. your favorite chair to pass away. That's, that's a good yeah. life, Bruce. That is a. Oh yeah. That's what I'm thinking. <clears throat> you know, I mean, he, he had good innings, you know. I would even say extra innings when you live into your 90s. And, uh, you know, like I say, I think he went out in his own terms. He wanted nothing to do with hospitals or any of that stuff. He wanted to live in his house until the end, and he was happy, I think, to die there. So, anyway, we'll be celebrating his uh, life tomorrow and uh, uh, tracking, I guess, the Oilers. I mean, it'll be long over by the time the hockey game's on tomorrow night. But uh, thanks in advance to Ira for for filling in and thanks right now to Kurt for filling in on grades tonight so we can get an early start in the morning. Well, have a great celebration. I hope you have uh, you. all share lots of great memories. Thank you. I know we will. Alrighty, Bruce. Um, kind of a funny game tonight. 7-1 win by the Oilers. So maybe, maybe their most dominating performance of the year in terms of a non-competitive game. It was the grade A shots were 15-4. to only <clears throat> four grade A shots for San Jose. Only one of them was a five alarm shot. And um, 
that was a pretty memorable one, of course, Vlasic uh, from the crease where Campbell right. made a glove save. <coughs> but, uh, yeah, um, the Ducks and the Sharks just don't seem to have it. All the Ducks did seem somehow beat the Oilers. But anyway, we've, we've gone over that enough. But, the man, I was looking at the Sharks draft picks, Bruce. Not only do the Sharks are kind of running on fumes this year, but, man, they do not have a lot of talent in that organization coming up. They really are bereft of young and talented hockey players in the system. This is a team that has a long rebuild ahead of it, unless somehow they get lucky. Um, It's going to be a number of years. Anaheim has got a lot of young talent, for instance. But this team, I'm not, I don't know. I looked at the draft picks. It is, the cupboard is bare. And uh, so good luck to them. Not that I'm, not that I'm unhappy about that. Well, I was a beat up on the Oilers for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So we've covered a few 7-1 games between these two teams, <clears throat> I suspect, by now. And I wouldn't think very many of them are in favor of the, of the orange and blue. So this is our two good things, two bad mm. things, and two numbers podcast because it was a decisive Oilers victory. We'll go with two good things each. What's your first good thing, Bruce? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Oilers' overall team structure, and uh, you know they they just seem to be very uh, 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 very organized tonight. Good positionally, they were good controlling the puck, winning puck battles, clearing their zone. I really like their place. Uh, leading the puck out of their own uh, out of their own zone, and you know by doing the right things. Like I mean, I remember one breakout where uh, Nurse passed the puck to Drysaddle in the defensive corner, and uh, uh, the pressure was on Dry, and he just stood in there, took the hit, and once the guy naturally bounced off of Dry because that's what happens when you try and hit him. Uh, only then did he did he put through a tricky little sort of 10-foot backhand onto the tape of McDavid, who has come all the way down beneath the circles to support and received the short pass. And then all of a sudden you got McDavid with a, like 180-foot head of steam coming up the wing, right? He's got all kinds of room, big, wide track. And it's just because the two guys in front of him, Nurse and Drysaddle, made disciplined uh, plays, took a little bit of punishment and, and uh, got the puck heading in the right direction. That, that's just one play of many, many. I just thought the Edmonton was time and again coming up with the puck in their own zone and it'd be one or two short passes and the way they'd be and, and uh, they played, I mean, they played a poor team tonight and they really waxed them. But I think if they played this kind of game, they would be a lot of teams in the NHL playing the way they did tonight. A lot of teams. So let's hope they can carry it forward and start playing this kind of game against some of the upper teams. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, it was a, it was a very strong performance in a lot of ways. Um, in every way. I mean, it was, they just dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Bruce, my first good thing will be the combination of Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Matthias Janmark. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've liked these players together all year long. Um, they just seem they're they're similar players. Nugent Hopkins has a higher level of skill, um, <clears throat> which and he's a he's a you know better passer. He's better with the puck, but uh, they're both very smart hockey players, and I'm just co- constantly impressed with Jan Mark's um, hockey IQ. He wins a lot of board battles. He's he's in the right place. He's a good penalty killer. 
um, as Kurt Levin suggested he was would be um, when he came to Edmonton. Kurt took a lot of heat for that online. Um, <laughs> but um, he has been, I think, a good penalty killer. And um, tonight um, he he came uh, very close to scoring. They had a um, uh, a rush up the ice where Costin put it into Nuge. Down low, and Nuge made a brilliant pass to Janmark, who who first one time did on net, and then on the second shot, was was even more dangerous, and he mm-hmm. almost there was an incredible save. Yes. Then uh, three minutes later, um, Janmark breaks in on the um, penalty kill, and uh, on a breakaway, and puts it off the kind of the side of the net. But he the, he gets the rebound, and Nugent Hopkins gets it, passes it out to Nuge, and uh, Nuge makes a brilliant shot because the goalie's sprawled to save Janmark's mm-hmm. um, <coughs> shot and can't make it. In the third period, they had another, they combined on another play where, um, did Janmark get a breakaway on that? Yeah, he got another breakaway where Nuge won a little battle there and Janmark broke up the ice shorthanded mm-hmm. and um, almost scored. So they've got some chemistry. They're, they're two similar players. I think the Oilers, they need a third line. I, I actually prefer, I think McLeod could be the third line center, but if they're going to go with Nuge <coughs> as the third line center and Janmark, if that's the basis of your third line, I think that and Costin, I mean, that could be a really good third line. I think you do need to win in the playoffs, to go to the Stanley Cup and win. In the, you need three, at least three really functional lines. And um, that could be a third line that that is strong in the playoffs with Nuge, Janmark and Costin. I mean, Costin showed his value in this game as well. Like he went to the net um, and the puck went in off his skate, but that was because he was behind the net and he charged right out to the front of the net and Hyman put it in. That was the second goal of the game, which was a really big goal actually um, to give mm-hmm. what it was a two nothing lead late in the first period. So that's a good line. These are, um, these are all good ho- hockey players. I mean, Costin, <clears throat> has been fairly high event out there and he sure has a high shooting percentage. So I don't know if he's going to continue kind of this kind of level of goal scoring, but um, he, he does have a good shot and he is a really rugged player. And um, on this line, he might, I think it's, it helps to have a big heavy hockey player like that with these two lighter Mm -hmm. guys, smaller guys seems to be a good mix of players. So I'm liking what I see, Bruce. Yeah. Both. Um, Janmark uh, and Nuge are, are pretty slick in the battles along the boards, and especially Janmark has impressed me in that department. He's six one one ninety five. Like he's not a small man. He's not a big man, but he's you know he can hold his own out there. And I'm I'm frequently impressed by his smarts along the wall and his ability to to uh, control the puck in you know in small areas, just sort of winning the short puck battles and coming out with the puck himself on the other side of it. Smitty used to be really good at this. And, and uh, I'm not saying he's a Swedish Smitty, which will forever be Thomas Holmstrom. Uh, but I am saying that he's good on the walls. And that's, that's you want to have some of that in your, uh, well, on any line, really. But uh, in your bottom six, guys who can control the puck, you know, keep it away from the other team, which the orders did very well tonight. You know, Yadmark is the kind of player Seems like when the owners would lose other to other teams, you, you know, the other teams would always have guys on their third or fourth lines who would dominate or really do well against the Oilers. Mm-hmm. And it was always guys like that. And you'd think, well, why can't the Oilers get that guy? You know, why are they always picking up 
Jared Smithson and Eric Belanger and, you know, guys who can't get it done. But um, just to name two of uh, randomly of, of a cast of dozens of, of bottom line players who'd failed to pan out for the Edmonton Oilers. But this was a, this guy, maybe there's disagreement. I don't know if other people feel the same way I, uh, about this player, but I, I've been a fan all year, ever since I've seen him start seeing him play. I just thought, wow. In every game, he's consistent. He's consistently good hustling, making the right plays with the puck. He's not a scorer, obviously. He's got uh, 11 points in 30 games. <clears throat> of course, he doesn't get any power play time, but right. he um, he's an effective hockey player. And um, yeah, I, I'm i glad he's on the Oilers. Yeah, What's your next? Solid bottom sixer for sure. Yeah, my second good thing... Uh, uh, rather than single out one of the two, I'm simply going to say Oilers special teams. I thought both the power play and penalty kill were were really excellent in this game. And the power play went two for four. Uh, it took them a minute and seven seconds to net a goal the first time. And the second time, they just kind of did away with that minute. And it only took them eight seconds to score off, a, off of... Um, uh, off of the draw, and uh, the first one in particular, like I, I just like the whole <coughs> sequence. There, were, there was a couple of really good plays by Edmonton to keep the puck in the uh, attacking zone. Leon made a fantastic play to basically the guy fired a slap shot. He was trying to ice the puck with a full slap shot, and then Leon was on his backhand. And he just took the puck right on the blade of his stick, a slap shot, and he just stopped it right on his stick. <laughs> And kept the pressure on. Then they finally did force the puck out, but not far enough, I think, to make a change. And Evanton Barry just turned it right back up to McDavid to dry sidled back to McDavid and boom <coughs> in the net. And it was just it was just really solid execution. At a time where you think, well, they had, you know, all that zone time and they didn't get a goal out of it. And just like that, they were back in the zone and this time scoring. So uh and the second power play was just so quick. And the, the little short pass that Leon chopped across the goal mouth for McDavid to just basically hold a stick on the ice and and wrap it home uh, to uh, uh, make it 3 nothing. And that was when Evanton really started to separate. Uh, but just impressive to me was the penalty kill, who on uh, uh, four chances, they, they gave up seven shots. But they took four shots of their own. They scored the only goal, uh, shorthanded goal, to uh, uh, really put the game out of reach. That was the four-nothing goal, and that was when you could see the shoulders really begin to slump on the on the uh, shark side of the ice. That they, you know, even on the power play, they got outscored. And uh, I, I, I enjoyed the play. The you know, like San Jose had some some pressure in the zone, but there were some real good plays made to clear the puck and, and no sort of egregious defensive lapses. Uh, you know, the shots that they did get were not particularly dangerous, I don't think. And and uh, uh, and of course, when they whatever shots they did get, Campbell stopped them all. And of course, the goalie is part of your penalty killing unit and deserves some of the credit. Uh, but to me, there's plenty of credit to spread around to both special teams, which I think dominated this game. And it was overall, uh, let me get the numbers here, 448 for the Oilers and 733 for the Sharks. So basically 60-40 for the Sharks on the power play 
And the shots were 13 for Edmonton, 7 for San Jose, and the goals were 3-0 for Edmonton. I note on one of the late power plays, the Oilers put out their second unit there. And then the third. And and then the third. And they didn't look particularly good, except for one player, Yesapuli Arvey. He was really handling the puck well. Mm -hmm. And I always thought he was good on the top power play unit, too. Mm -hmm. Like, in some way, like he... He doesn't have the deftness of Hyman in terms of, um, you know, the famous Hyman maneuver where he gets the puck at the side of the net and is able to manufacture something out of that off his backhand often. But he's he's very good at popping pucks, winning pucks, tipping pucks, moving pucks. And he was really good on that shift and he built off that, I think. He got a little confidence going and he popped in a nice goal. And I, I really like that. I mean, I'm I'm a big Yesapoli-RV fan. I, you know, it's it's not... Uh, we'll we'll see if he gets moved, Bruce. I'm not sure. That, I'm not sure if he will, but he can still help this team win. Um, he's he's a he's a good hockey player, and wherever he goes, I'm wishing him well in his hockey career. That's for sure. I like the player, and I think he's got some talent. Yeah, he made on that power play. He made two great <clears throat> plays in a row to recover the puck along the end boards. Uh, one after sustained pressure by Edmonton, and he won a battle that seemed like he wasn't in that great a position. And then they generated another shot, and then he won another battle behind the net and continued the cycle. And their power play or penalty killers were pretty, were feeling the lactic acid by then. Let's put it that way. And that was, and then the very next shift, he made a good play along the wall to keep it in, get it down to the playmaker, which was up Fogel. And uh, what's it? That was Nuge. He got it down to Nuge, and Nuge returned it, and he uh, was able to get a real nifty one-timer from, as Louis pointed out, basically uh, from the odd side for the one-timer. The pass came from the from the left-wing boards as opposed to from the right and didn't go across the goal mouth, and he was somehow able to get leverage and pound it in the far corner. Nice to see. <coughs> My uh, second good thing will be Jack Campbell. He didn't have a lot of action. Um, as we've indicated, just four grade A shots and one five alarm shot. The five alarm where he made its you know, spectacular uh, circus save off uh, Mark Edward Vlasic, <clears throat> where he, Campbell uh, dove across the crease and got his glove out and, and stopped it. But I was just impressed um, with how he looked this game, Bruce. When he was earlier this year, Man, did he look out of sorts with the net. Every time he handled the puck, every time he moved, he just looked so out of, lacking in confidence, tentative, shaky. All those words applied to Jack Campbell earlier this season. Tonight from the get-go, he looked like a man who was confident in the net, sharp with the puck, handling the puck well, making every save, making every save, um, you know, just made it look easy, made that mining look easy. Looked like he was completely at home and happy to be there and and good to go. And you know, the first five or ten minutes, you just don't know how the game's going to go. It, looked, it was kind of a herky jerky affair, and San Jose was forechecking pretty hard. And it occurred to me, you know, like you know, he didn't have to make a lot of saves in that time because they didn't get that many that many shots. But um, it just occurred to me that Campbell could win them the game that night. Like he, that's how confident he looked to me. And that's a very welcome development. Oh. You know, we'll we'll see if it translates um, into um, some wins versus good teams. But uh, man, he looks a lot better. He has for a couple for a little while now. He's been looking better and better and better since he got his new equipment, essentially. And um, that's that's fantastic to see. 
ha- he still has just an 883 save percentage <clears throat> overall this year. But if he can get up, you know, if he can start working his way and get up to like a 900 save percentage, if he can play like at a league average, at least like a, a you know, a 910 um, save percentage the, the rest of the year, or maybe even 915, that'd be fantastic, of course. This will be huge for the Oilers. It, you know, when we look at why the Oilers have lost as many games as they have, goaltending has been a huge factor. His goaltending has been a big factor. And, um, looks like he's turning it around we're seeing signals of that yeah yeah he's uh he's definitely all the way up to solid which is uh, a long way ahead of where he was and you know it's uh uh, for whatever reason the orders are 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 really um suppressing shots when campbell is in that and they're giving up a ton of shots when dubnik is in like the difference is skinner really Or sorry, Skinner. He looks like Well, <laughs> a drop pick that worked out for the Oilers. It's a short list and goal. Yeah. Anyway, uh, when uh, Skinner uh, uh, Skinner's been seeing, you know, forty, sometimes forty-five shots per game, and Campbell this last while has been twenty-two, twenty, twenty-six tonight. Uh, he faced, I think it was three shots when he came on in relief against Seattle for whatever reason. That game, seventeen against the Jets. So I don't know if it's anything he's doing, but the team seems to be playing more organized uh, in front of him. So good stuff, good stuff. I given my buddy. I, I I mean I admit like I'm really cheering for Philip Rowbury, and uh, yeah. I I think part of the reason that they're limiting shots here is he's getting a little more ice time. I think he's a good shot suppressor. All right, Bruce, um, your bad thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with, with one little play that kind of went against the grain. Uh, and this is on, I'm going to say the name of Ryan McLeod, but I'm going to couch that by saying he played most of a good game tonight. Yeah. Uh, but this is very, very late in the first period. And the uh, Oilers are up 2 nothing on the road. Everything's <clears throat> gone right. They got the puck down deep in San Jose territory. They're cycling along the boards. Uh, the only thing that they really don't want to do is turn the puck over, especially turning it over on a pass that's going back towards their own net. And Brian McLeod gets a short pass in the corner, and he decides to try and hit his winger with a backhand uh, d- low to high diagonal pass, and it gets picked off. And now it's a jailbreak because basically all three forwards are trapped down there, and San Jose comes down. And I think that was their only grade a shot of the first period it came with about eight seconds left and it was just uh just because of a a brief breakdown in the in the uh what had been very it stood out because of how rarely it happened in this game that the Oilers made a, a fundamental mistake like that of moving the puck in the wrong direction or not having the puck support where where they needed it and i think it was just a I just maybe got a little bit greedy. Maybe there's a chance there if I can hit him in the slot, but it was kind of a risky pass. It would have been a better pass with four seconds left in the period than 14. Let's put it that way. 
That was the only grade A shot of the first two periods for San Francisco. First two periods, yeah, okay. Yeah. And if they scored there, you know, all of a sudden it's 2-1, yeah. you're going to the dressing room going, oh, crap, how in the hell did we let them back yeah. in the game? And, you know, just a little little mistake, little not quite rookie mistake because he's not quite a rookie, but, you know, just a little thing that maybe this player can learn from is that, you know, sometimes, especially you want to be a 3C, you know, your job is, first of all, suppress keep goals out of your own net anything you get is a bonus but uh, don't get don't get too greedy and it's, it's kind of just a little uh well it was really minor criticism but it could have turned into something if uh if uh san jose had made the shot and you don't want to give them anything because they no. like i'm saying they're a bad anything. team but they've got some good players like yeah. they've got hurdle and couture and carlson like they've got some guys Meyer. Meyer, Timo Meyer, who can give you a game, yep. and uh, if they get, they get going right, like this is those are some very good hockey players that are holdovers. I don't know how many are going to be there after this season. <clears throat> like I, I just think they really need to strip down, and but uh, they can they they could beat you this year, bait just based on those players if they get any kind of goaltending. Um, my bad thing was the the goal that broke the shutout. And of course, this being in San Jose, Bruce, they had to score what we call the Californian. This is the throw the puck at the net, outside shot, um, tipped in front of the net, which San Jose forever was the master of scoring. <coughs> With Brent Burns, of course. Joe Pavelski. Being oh, the master man. at shooting at Joe Pavelski being the master of tipping. Like Those guys were amazing. It was it was uh, it was a great play in hockey. It scorched the Oilers so many times, and um, you know Joe Thornton would win the puck down low, pass it back, Burns would whip it in, and Pavelski would tip it in. <laughs> that was the scoring play, and it happened again here. It was um, an outside shot tipped in, and you know there's not much to focus on other than it was a good tip. It's a good play. Like if you can do that play, that's a hell of a play. I don't. You know, it's a great way to score goals. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, it had to break Campbell's shutout attempt here, uh, the Californian. There you go. Still, we'll take one goal against, which they've now done a couple of times yeah. in this last little while after really struggling last year. And I heard a stat today on the radio, um, uh, Gregor show maybe, and it was uh, that the Oilers are, since Christmas break, among the top teams, if not, I think maybe even the top team in the league, they'd only given in 12 five-on-five goals in eight games. So now they're up to 13 in nine games, which is still pretty darn good. In fact, their average got better uh, from tonight. And so they're uh, maybe starting to put it together a little bit on the defensive side of the puck. And, I mean, part of that's probably Campbell coming around, but part of Campbell coming around is probably the defense coming around. You know, it's a chicken and egg thing here where, you know, everybody does their part. And Indeed. Wow. I'm just looking at the top scorers in the league. Connor McDavid, 82 points in 44 games. That's really, really good. That's Lemieux-esque. Not quite Gretzky-esque, but that is Lemieux-esque. That's Robert Richard's <clears throat> career playoff totals. 82 goals and 44 assists. Really? There you go. Yeah, he was the all-time leader, 82 goals, until uh, uh, until uh, his record finally got broken by the great one. 
And then the Great Ones record temporarily got broken by the great Yari Curry in the 1990 playoffs. And then uh, Gretzky finally took command again after that. But Rocket Richard held that standard for many, many years, 82, and Gordy Howard, 79. And there's your, your mandatory 1940s sports reference. <laughs> what year did Richard retire? You don't remember watching 1960. I don't remember watching okay, that's... Richard play. All he right. and Ted Williams <laughs> retired in the same year, and I started watching sports about two years later. Cool. All righty, Bruce. Uh, let's go to our numbers. What is your numero? Yeah, I'm going to go with 5 and 16, uh, with 5 being the number of giveaways by the orders in this game and 16 being the number of takeaways. And a very nice ratio of over 3 to 1 takeaways to giveaways. And just to put that in perspective, on the season, coming in tonight, the orders had 441 giveaways in 44 <coughs> games, so 10 per game, almost exactly. 405 takeaways, 44 games, so about nine and a half, so almost almost level, a few more giveaways and takeaways. But tonight they cut their average number of giveaways in half, and they increased their average number of takeaways almost by double. And they were just winning puck battles, and, and I mean, uh, both uh, Leon and Warren Fogel had three takeaways each. No, Fogel's a real low. He's a real um, uh, strong on the takeaways. He has he has very high numbers in this stat, and he he wins puck battles and he wins pucks outright. And he doesn't get a lot of credit for it. But I'll just mention that if you look at that stat, takeaways per sixty, he's number one on the team, <clears throat> and so which you wouldn't necessarily expect, but. Uh, uh, anyway, they uh, but they just had guys all across the lineup, you know, with one, and hardly anybody coughing the puck up at all. The Ryan McLeod, two of the five giveaways, and one of them was probably the play I described. I haven't looked at it specifically, but uh, it was uh, a pretty clean game by Edmonton, and not just they weren't doing anything wrong, which is giveaways. They were doing a lot of things right, which are takeaways, and both show up in those in those two columns. Bruce, uh, my number is ninth, ninth, and um, that's Ryan Nugent Hopkins now in the NHL scoring. Wow. I've referenced this before, but I love to reference it. There's something about being in the top 10 scoring. I used to have this little book, like a little NHL guide, and what it did, it showed the t only the top 10 scorers for every year going back to like 1917. So for some reason, and then in the newspaper for a long time, they would top only show 10. the top 10. So it's not significant like it anymore, but for some reason that's stuck in my head mm -hmm. because that's how they used to, and they used to, in baseball, they used to show the top 10 batting averages. Yep. So this is, this is kind of a thing for a sports fan of a certain age. It's significant to me if you're in the top 10, you're in history then, right? Like you're not mm -hmm. forgotten. And he's on his way. We'll see if he can hold out and, and get there to being in the top 10 um, in scoring this year. Bruce, this year, so far, being in the top 10 puts him a play ahead of players like Matthew Kachuk, Mikko Rantanen, Kirill Kaprizov, Elias Peterson, Mitchell Marner, Alex, Alex Ovechkin, Sidney Crosby. 
Austin Matthews and Steve Samkos, they all have fewer points this year than Ryan Nugent Hopkins. So this is the year I had kind of given up on Nugent Hopkins having. I was more worried that he was going to turn into Kyle Turris this year than he was going to expecting that he was going to have this kind of year. Like, like honestly, I was thinking like, like where's it going to go with Nuge? <clears throat> but he has shown me, he has shut me up, Bruce. And I know that you had more faith in him. You, you saw him as kind of a, your comparison always was Patrick Marlowe. Yep, and you were thinking that Nuge could Short develop time. into that kind of player in his thirties. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, we'll see. He's trending in that direction. Still trending, isn't he? And um, the player, you know, the player that he was compared to, in the in the fondest dreams of Oilers fans, there was a player that he was compared to early in his career, and it was Pavel Datsuk. Yeah, and it was right. always the idea that that he's got that skill, and if he if he just gets a stronger stick, as how because that's what Datsuk had. Like in puck battles, Datsuk was ferocious. He had this strong stick. He would win pucks. And Bruce, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, it is not an it is not a stretch in any way to say that this year Ryan Nugent Hopkins is having a kind of a Pavel Datsuk season. He is strong in battles. He plowed someone into the boards tonight. He he wins battles repeatedly, and um, he is driving his own line for the first time in his career. He is uh, leading his line and able to drive a line ahead um, with his uh, aggressive play. I just think this summer, um, because I don't think I saw this even last year. Maybe I've seen it in, I saw it in a few playoff games. There was one playoff game against Winnipeg where I I recognized this, where, you know, this kind of aggression. Right. Maybe a few games in the playoffs last year. But uh, something has changed. He just seems to have made up his mind. I'm going to be... I'm not going to let these young guys, I think, beat me. Like I'm, I'm the veteran now. I'm the guy. I'm the yeah. man. I'm going to kick some butt. I'm not going to let these young guys come in and push me around. I'm going to push them around. And he's bossing them. He's bossing the game more and more and more. It's really impressive. It's great to see if he can stay healthy. He's going to be a force uh, for the rest of the regular season and in the playoffs. Way to go, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Yeah, well, tonight he had a uh, a goal on the penalty kill, an assist at five on five, and then a primary assist and then a secondary assist at uh, on the power play. So showing, you know, his, you know, you want to talk about three-headed monsters? Well, that's the Nuge by himself in terms of he can he can play in all three main manpower states. He's a big-time penalty killer for the Oilers. In fact, tonight he led the way. Three minutes and 37 seconds for forwards, Nuge on the penalty kill. And the man who led the entire team was one Vincent Deharnay with 3.53, by the way. Got to like that. And uh, just riffing a little bit of ice time, only one oiler made it as much as 20 minutes tonight, and that was uh, Brett Kulak at 20 minutes, 12 seconds. And scanning down the sheet, I can't. I think the lowest guy is Derek Ryan at 12 minutes and 39 seconds. When was the last time the Oilers had, didn't have a few guys with under 10 minutes? Tonight, the whole team basically played 12 and a half to 20 minutes. So that's great. So anyway, Nuge is the guy who does sort of max time on both special teams, and he's uh, uh, he's pretty good, pretty darn good at it, and that's where a lot of his value is. So people will look at the five by five scoring and say, "Well, Nuge isn't doing enough five by five. You got to look at the whole 
breadth of his game, not just the, not necessarily just the, uh, the weakest part of it, which is probably five on five scoring. Well, it's coming. He does have twenty-four five-on-five points, even strength points. Yeah, it's all nothing. So. He's he's pumping. I, <clears> he's starting to get twenty-nine there. in other situations. Then, yeah, three on the year. Twenty-seven on the power play, which puts him third in the NHL. His power play performance has also improved. I mean, he mm-hmm. he is just he's more threatening because he's more willing to shoot and more willing to go just go a little harder. He's just. Um, pushing that, twisting that throttle a little harder. Third in the NHL in power play points, David. Whoever could he be behind? You seem to have the list in front of you. Who are are numbers one and two? Oil Country wants to know. Connor McDavid, 41. 41. Nice. (laughs) 41 points, Bruce, on the power play. point, a power play point a game. 34 for Leon Dreisaitl and 27 for Nuge, tied with Nikita Kucherov. Oh, that guy. Okay. Well, you're tied with Kucherov on the power play. You must be doing something right. Yeah. Because he is an absolute ace of the power play himself, Kucherov. All righty. Well, Bruce, um, any other thoughts or anything you'd like to add? Big game tomorrow night, of course, but. Yeah, Yeah, I'll probably be watching it in Red Deer, but I'm going to be with the family and not sort of fully engaged in it. So, uh, uh, but I'm encouraged my thoughts are, you know, they had to take care of business in California. When the Kings beat them, it was like, you can't fool around. You don't want to sort of play one good game and then get surprised in the second game, as has happened so often this year. And, they were, I mean, they are a good road team. Do you know, David, that the Oilers have scored six or more goals the last five times they've done it have all been on the road. And in that same period of time, which is about a month, uh, They've only scored as many as four goals at home once. And on the road, they've scored six plus goals five different times. You tell me how the hell that works. (sighs) Well, maybe the jury's (laughs) playing in front of the jury's a little bit. The jury suppresses offense. Who knew? (laughs) I could could see it. Like, we are critical. Oilers fans, Bruce, are super knowledgeable Mm -hmm. and super critical. And, um, or even both. <laughs> both. Yeah. yeah. The faithful. Well, oh, they're pick- hockey, but they also have strong opinions. Yep. Anyway, my strong opinion is that the orders kicked butt on the Sharks tonight and were and on the Ducks the other night and rightfully won two games over teams they should beat. Now they have to start winning games over teams that are, you know, in the same general area code as they are. And tomorrow night in in uh Sin City with uh, apparently hundreds, if not thousands, of Oilers fans going to be in attendance. That would be a heck of a place to uh, pull out a, a, a Hockey Night in Canada road win. Sin City. Great ACDC song. <laughs> All right, Bruce. Thanks for talking tonight. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, rest in peace, Ron Bellamy. Rest in peace, Ron. And in the meantime, And in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.